Welcome to the Boss Bitch Show podcast. We are so excited to have Sarah Hartshorn with us. She is a phenomenal woman in so many ways, a wonderful friend, comedian, writer, abortion activist, and former model. Give it up for this boss bitch. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. We are so excited. I'm so I'm so excited. I'm on the tail end of uh, quarantining for COVID and I had it and then my husband had it and then the baby had it. And so and he was like taking meetings and like working and I was not. So I like I'm just I'm I'm so excited to talk to somebody. (laughs) I had my third bout of COVID um, Mm. right before Thanksgiving. And yeah, this was my first official like positive test. I think I had it in March of 2020. But back then they were like, don't go to the hospital. Don't go to the doctor. Don't do anything like if you don't have to. Yeah. Remember we went for that walk in the the park and we were like, I I was just sick. The doctor said it was the flu. And and Nico was like, get away from me. Get get away from me. I know. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, and because my dad was also hospitalized with like pneumonia in February of oh, wow. 2022. This like before, no, even before then, like January or something. And they were like, I don't know, it's just really weird pneumonia. It's like attacking his body, and we don't know why. Weird. And we were like, Yeah, that's really it was totally COVID. It was COVID. oh my god. Yeah, my roommate was with his boyfriend at the time and like barfing on a plane on the way to like London and they also thought it was the flu and it was like and we were like no because they were hanging out with me and like you know very close proximity and neither of them got it and we were like oh that's why Mm -hmm." that's why yeah Yeah. Uh, so I think I had it back then but they yeah they didn't have tests so so I don't know for sure um and but other than that I had, I had never had it. This was my first like pause. It was the first time like seeing the line come up and it was mm-hmm. like, it was such a flashback of like take paranoid and taking pregnancy tests and like <laughs> also had never had like a pregnancy scare uh, until I wanted one. Yeah. Not <laughs> or I've had, I'm sorry. I've had scares, but I'd never, um, you know, I'd never like seen the little blue line pop up. So I, you're right. You know, I, I've never taken a pregnancy test. I really? just uh, took plan B. Yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah. goodness for plan B. <laughs> I I did take plan B sometimes. I also just am so paranoid that I just would like take a test. <laughs> it was like not likely, but I would like take a pregnancy test because I was I'm just an anxious person. <laughs> I don't like, I don't hey, look, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It probably falls like right in line with STI testing. I mean, I do that yeah. plenty. So, you know. Yeah. Um yeah. Um, and and specifically when I took the plan B, it was because like condoms broke. So I was like, okay. We're yeah. not taking this chance. Um, cool. Yeah. They it was broke or like spice. Yeah. And I, was, I knew was, the was, chance was yeah. small. Yeah. And actually, my doctor, as I've gotten older, she was like, Yeah, plan B is really not good as you get older. So yeah, if you oh. you know, if you really think, you know, yeah. And- I didn't know I, I did know that it doesn't work if you're over 150 pounds, which is like that's so what? not yeah, Plan B doesn't work if you're over 150. And then there's another brand that works until you're like, until it like 180 pounds. And then there's another one that's like 230 pounds, which is crazy because abortion pills, medication abortion works for any weight, no matter what. Um, wow. So yeah. I took Plan B for no reason. Cool. Yeah. Because um, yeah. I was, uh, 
I haven't been that weight in a long time. So. Same. Um, um, okay. Yeah, I know people. I've, I've, I think it's crazy that like that information is not is so not well known that like doctors won't tell you. No, that's, or don't know. Apparently, I think that's super duper fine print. Yeah. Um, wow. Well, thank yeah. you for that nugget of knowledge. So tell us what makes you a boss bitch. Oh man, I'm feeling so not like a boss bitch right now that that's a great question. I think it's a good one. I feel like when you're not feeling like a boss bitch, it's good to be asked that, you know, so you can yeah. be like, all right, wait, let me think about that because there, it's she's in there somewhere. <laughs> what does make me a boss bitch? Well, cause yeah, I mean, I have a six month old baby right now, which is like very like on the one hand, it's that's like very it's look, it's a very special time in my life. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. I'm very excited. But it's also like like this is the thing about childbirth is that it's like it's this huge life changing event. And it's also just the most basic ass shit that every every single person that's ever been born was born. So they were born. You know what I mean? It's like so commonplace. It's very like, OK, you did it. You did that. You did, had that huge life changing event that like it's also not that big a deal but so, you also have a human suckling on you for life literally then you have That's... a human suckling on you for life and so yeah it it definitely and like um yeah and every single thing that you do you have to like relearn how to do it with this new like felt right like um like every time I put on lipstick I'm like I used to do this every day <laughs> I used to just do this every day and it was like not a big deal every time I go get a pedicure I'm like holy shit I just got a pedicure I have a baby and I just got a pet the first time I took a walk without her she was a month old I hadn't not had her like on my body oh my and God, and then yeah. before that I'd been pregnant and so it was the first time and my husband was like just go for a walk man like you gotta like get up like you gotta get out of the house you gotta go you gotta like take some space for yourself so I was taking this walk and I Every time I walked by someone on the streets of New York, I wanted to be like, I just had a baby. I just had a baby. I just had a baby. Because you couldn't, for the first time in like six months, I had no visible thing that showed this big life event that I'd gone through. So what makes me a boss bitch? Um, You know, I have a lot. I have a lot of tidbits and information about abortion and plan B and reproductive rights. I have a lot of that information rattling around in my head. It was also right after the my baby was born in uh june 30th it was a great time to take a break from the news <laughs> i was like what a great excuse to not because yeah i i uh i'm very well versed in um you know the the goings on and the the legal uh battles that abortion faces in america and um you know down to like circuit court stuff in the states and and that's great it's a it's a really good fight and the people in the fight are amazing but it was really nice to just be like what's going on in the world what now is there <laughs> all falling apart is it everything's still awful cool cool i'm gonna I'm go back to my little bubble of not knowing yeah. that yeah i'd say that makes me a pretty boss bitch i have lots of i have also i have handed out so much plan b uh and so much um now i can't remember the name of the other brand um but that is is better for people who weigh more than 150 pounds i've handed out so much i'm like a little fuck fairy like just <laughs> anting i'm like oh did you have did you i hope it was good i hope it was worth it have some plan b you know uh, i've escorted at oh that you know what this makes me a boss bitch um i have escorted at i want to say like 10 abortion clinics all over the country wow can you explain to listeners what that means? Oh, I mean, yeah. I know what it means. Yeah. No, it's, it's, um, 
So uh, there are people that protest at abortion clinics all over the country in New York, even in liberal states. There are religious people who think that abortion is wrong. So they show up at the clinic and they basically harass the patients. They harass anyone going in. They harass, you know, the the people waiting for the patients in their car and escorts are there to help the patients basically get from their car into the clinic. They're also there to help like the people waiting for the patients. And it's, um, it's actually, it's a really beautiful community, like escorts at clinics in Alabama usually are friends online or in real life and have met, you know, clinics in, uh, in Mississippi and Georgia and New Orleans and like, and New York. It's like, it's a network of, of really amazing people. Yeah. It's a ridiculous thing that it had like imagine if someone was like oh yeah I escorted a dentist's office that would be so <laughs> like yeah I just you know I help the patients get in because a lot of people are really against uh, uh root canals you know um it's also <laughs> like it's what's wildest to me is that there are so many um clinics that do all kinds of um reproductive health care right like people go in for pap smears and breast uh, cancer screenings and um, uh, trans people get their hormone replacement therapies there. And so the protesters, they don't know who's going in for an abortion, especially like, like, uh, you know, I've escorted at the one in Brooklyn, the Planned Parenthood in Brooklyn. You don't know what anyone's going in for. Sometimes they go for just a regular mammogram or or, uh, like a checkup, you know, a pap smear or an STI test. Yeah. Like I remember one time I was in, I guess this was actually, I can't even remember where this, no, this must've been Minnesota. And there was a trans woman that I was escorting who was there for her hormone replacement and she was so flattered because she was like I'm like they really think I'm a pregnant woman like they think I'm about to have an abortion and it was like such a good day for her (laughs) and I was like I love that for you like I love that I hate that you are being harassed in this way um because and uh, you know a lot of times like the protesters will harass the trans patients for being trans um and be like you know it's not too like you know they'll be like oh it's not too late young man or whatever but they that's not what was happening they didn't know what was going on so she had a good day (laughs) i was like i was like i love that for you um the normies think the normies think i you know um like i'm passing which is you know does not necessarily have to be a goal if you are trans but for her it was an exciting moment so that was good Uh, um yeah can be good inside of the evil right Uh. oh it's so funny you know that's one thing i think this is another thing i don't know if it makes me a boss bitch but it definitely makes the community a boss community is is that i don't know there's so much joy and there's so much fun and like every time you know, because so I came through this because I worked for Abortion AF, which is a great organization, and they do a bunch of stuff. But um, one of the things that, that we like to do is if there's a bunch of really religious extremists doing something somewhere and making a, like a public mess will go and just sort of fuck shit up for them (laughs) like there was this hate group that was like harassing um every year they have a conference and they descend on a clinic somewhere like one year they had it in hawaii and it'll just be like like hundreds and hundreds of people and uh, one year they were in louisville kentucky and there's only one clinic so it was like one clinic just bearing the brunt of this huge organization so we went to just you know be assholes to them And every time that happens, it just is, it's so marked, like who is having more fun, who is more joyful, who is 
has a better feeling of community and it's so so stark you know like they're like they have their kids out on the pavement on the hot pavement it's summer they're bored they're sad you know they're like they they're like oh I guess we have to go pray for four more hours you know and then they're like looking at us and we're like playing with balloons we have food trucks we're having a party we're like having a dance party a bunch of us have blue hair like I don't have blue hair now but I did at the time and we're just like having such a and the kids are like man we have to go sit and pray and then like walk for four hours and fast and repent. And we're like lit. <laughs> yeah. So well, that's fun. you know, fighting based in fear and, and, you know, the unknown and following a doctrine that may or may not have been written, you know, by God. Right. Yeah. Um, it certainly wasn't writ- written for women. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, you know, Jesus is not my dude, but you know, <laughs> From what I've heard, he was kind of a, a nice man. Uh, he seemed nice, yeah. Right? He was a carpenter. He helped people. Mm-hmm. And he, was... he loved whores. Right, he loved, he loved whores. whores. He, that's he one of my, yeah. Prostitutes and lepers. He was like, let's party. Yeah, so... that's one of my favorite chants that I ever came up with. Um, so the, the organization that I mentioned that is really hateful, they're called Operation Save America. I always want to say Operation Save Abortion, and that's not. <laughs> that's, not right. that's the opposite. That's the opposite of what they want. It's Operation Save America. They were like at January six. They were like they're like raging assholes. They're terrible. Mm. Um, and uh, one of the they were in Mississippi, and one of the chants that I came up with was um, Jesus loved sinners and whores. Our chants are better than yours. <laughs> <laughs> and you can change it to whatever you, our outfits are better than yours are slow you know whatever it is <laughs> i would imagine so yeah <laughs> no yeah well yeah uh, uh sluts for jesus sluts for jesus sluts for jesus that yeah. would be the cult i would be in well hi sarah apologies hi. great to yeah. see you again good to see you too um yeah so i'll just hop in wherever yeah, we were doing her, you know, boss bitch mm-hmm. intro, um, which she covered beautifully. So I think it's such a good question to ask. Sorry, uh, sorry you can cut me off at any time. Mm-hmm. I just think because I, I was telling Rachel, I just I feel so much not like a boss bitch, partially because I have a young baby, but also because I'm recovering from COVID. And then also I'm oh. grieving. We had a, a loss in my family. So I just have been sort of such a lump and not talking to anyone that I was like, oh, wow, that's a great question. Why am I a boss bitch? Hmm. Um, it's always good to remind yourself. Um, you know, I, re- I relate to that very much. Yeah. I think um, I've had a lot of loss in my family recently. And I think I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry for you as well. Mm. I think, um, you know, what makes you a boss bitch sometimes is giving yourself some grace, you know, because society certainly won't give it to us. So That's, we might yeah. as well give it to ourselves. I mean, you yeah. have an infant, you know, dealing with loss. I mean, yeah. dealing with loss alone is heavy. Being a woman is heavy. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then being responsible for another human being. Um, yeah. We haven't had a lot of a lot of moms on the show. So I think that's oh. like a wonderful thing to to talk about. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It's, what are uh, your what are your thoughts and feels on motherhood these days? Oh man, so many. Um I bet. Yeah. It's it's so weird. I don't know. I never thought I would have kids. And I am super glad that I I waited until I was ready because mm. 
like just going through it, I was like, oh, the thought of forcing this on someone Ooh. who doesn't want it is horrifying. Like I am not one of those who was like, oh my God, I loved being pregnant. It was like, so it was such a beautiful, mm. blessed experience. Like, no, oh my God. I like, it was uh, uncomfortable all the time. I did like observing how people treated me. It was very, that was really interesting because on the one hand, it was like, it was, it was, you're hyper visible. Everyone mm. notices you just a little bit more, right? In good ways for the most part, right? Someone gives you a seat um, on the bus or, you know, someone is is a little bit more gentle with you mm. and, um, and it sort of like comes up all the time, right? Like you're mm. just grocery shopping and someone says there's sort of this hyper visibility, but then it was really interesting. I would like go to like work parties with my husband who works in tech and I saw someone not see me. Like they just didn't, cause they were like, I don't know. Like I could see his brain be like, I don't know what to say to this person. So he just like, and I knew that he didn't see me because he literally like tried to put his hand, he tried to shake the hand of someone next to me and like bumped me out of, and was like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't see you there. And I was like, yeah, man, I know. I, I watched you not erase me in your mind um, because yeah, like he just, you know, and and then also like you would, I would see people like try very hard not to look at me if they didn't want to give me their seat on the train. Sometimes I would want to be like, it's okay, I can stand. Like I'm more yeah. comfortable standing right now, or like I'm fine to stand because you would just see people on the train like so studiously avoiding my. And I wanted to be like, it's fine, man. Like it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can relax. Wow. You don't have to give me your seat. Um, or sometimes if I wanted the seat, I would just like put my belly in their face because I was like, I do want that seat actually. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm gonna force you. And yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna force your hand. Here. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times I was like, I don't care, man. You're fine. It's but it was just it was very interesting. And then I was a little bit bummed because I was like, oh man, I'm gonna have the baby and people are gonna be nice to me. <laughs> But it turns out they're even nicer when you have a baby. Aww. It's wild. It's a whole new city. I haven't been panhandled to in like almost eight months. The baby's like six months old. The last couple months of pregnancy, no one panhandled to you either. Probably because wow. you walk so slow. They're like, eh, it'll take her like a year to get to her purse, <laughs> um, which is absolutely true. Whatever. <laughs> you're just like so and like cumbered. You're like, oh, I, I got nothing. Mm. Um, but then, yeah, with the baby, like oh, I was... Um, I was hanging out with, I was getting coffee with another mom and we were breastfeeding. So we were sort of facing e each other, you know, to kind mm. of shield. Yeah. And this guy comes up and he's like, Hey, can I get a dollar? And then he sort of took in the situation and he goes, Oh, your boobs are out. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> whatever makes you go away, bro. Whatever, whatever. But it's so yeah. like, it's crazy. Like that's a long time to be in New York and have no one ask you for money. Mm. Mm. Did you um. get cat called when you were pregnant? I did. And one time I got catcalled by someone who was behind me. My favorite was to like swing the belly around and then they'd be like, oh, oh, you know, where oh. they were like, oh, shit. Um, and I, so I like swung the belly around and this guy was like, wait. And I was like, what? And then he was like, don't move. And I was like, man, I'm not going anywhere. Like, do you see how slow I walk? Like, you'll catch up. So I just like kind of kept waddling. And then he like got in his car and he got a giant bottle of water and he was like here he was like in it and I was like no man I'm not taking your creepy car water like I don't know you no, I'm good I'm good but he like he felt so bad that he like had to do something nice it was so funny uh. and then I would get a lot of like oh sorry oh oh sorry 
uh, like when I would turn around and then one time a guy was like she was like fresh out she was so little I'd like just given birth and I was walking her in the stroller and this guy was like you know like I can give you something better that your husband can't and I wanted to be like it well is it a fucking ice pack my dude because like shit is <laughs> tore up all right give me a goddamn minute like <laughs> <laughs> oh my god bold you have a numbing agent for yeah my, like my... is it witch hazel because that's really what my jam lately like <laughs> Um, yeah, I find it really poignant and interesting the point you made about um, you're so glad that you did it when you were ready and like thinking about people that are forced into it. And, you know, of course, we think about people that are forced into carrying pregnancies and mm -hmm. don't have access to abortions. But I also think about people quietly being forced into it, like societally, whether pressure, it's, even yeah, whether yeah, it's at pressure. an age that they're not quite ready like they haven't quite dealt with their stuff enough yet mm -hmm. to be like raising another human or like you know our mom's generation who it was just assumed like yeah. somewhere in your 20s and 30s you are having a child and yeah ain't no ifs ands or buts about it unless yeah. you have some you know medical reason that you can't you and know? even then then if, if that is the case if you have some medical reason it's going to be the thing that you talk about it's going to be the thing yeah. that comes up in every conversation it's, it's going to define be, you it's going to define you and it's going to be assumed to be a lack it's always going to be assumed. Oh, like so sad. it's so sad and it's so messed up and it makes like i truly i i'm that's why i didn't want kids for so long is because the so the women in my family regretted having them and there was like a tradition of that and that made, and, I, and the the resentment and the sadness i i mm. couldn't i i it's it it felt it felt very scary to me and it was only when i was like okay no i i can do this because this is what i want and I can, you know, I, I've done the work and I can trust myself that I'm not going to like yeah. put that on her basically. Yeah. Um, that you're not uh, going to project all your shit onto this like innocent little yeah. nugget. Yeah. That's beautiful. And like, I don't think, you know, my, my mom, I don't think regrets having me, but I know that her mom regretted having her. And I know that her mom, I think regretted having her and um, you know, they had them. Yeah, they had them really young. And it yeah. just it was because it was the thing to do. You know, my grandma was 18. And uh, I know 18. And like I literally I was such a child. I was a child. A child. I thought I knew everything and I knew nothing. I was such a stone cold idiot. Like and to have a baby. Oh, man, I just literally cannot imagine. I, I cannot. And also, yeah, just the pressure to do it, the assumption. And then and then it changes your whole life. Like it's such a, it's such a, she's such a surplus to my life in, in all of the good and bad ways. Like, you know, I was telling Rachel, like everything you do has to be reformulated, right? Like, mm. do you wear makeup? Okay. Then you have to like learn, relearn when and how that is going to fit into your life because yeah. it, like, and it's such a surplus and that's so beautiful and so wonderful. I'm so glad that she's there. But for that to be the assumption is crazy to me. Like if if you don't have that, then there's a lack. That's not true because she is truly, it's, it's such an addition. It's such a huge thing that to not have that, like to not have kids is that that's not the standard to me. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> like, yeah that the assumption is that you will like and and again like I, I wanted this and I'm so happy and I and it is such a beautiful surplus but like 
Yeah, it's just wild mm-hmm. uh, to think about past generations. Although I will say, like, because people are nicer to me, it did help me understand the women who just like have like 10 kids. Because I honestly, because I, I deal with so many like, or I, you know, um, like I, with so many pro-abortion, like super extremist, very Christian people. I, I've met a lot of people who have like 13, 14, 15, 16 kids. Oh, and I never, I couldn't wrap my head around it. Cause I was like, even if, all right, you believe in Jesus, you believe it's the right thing to do. You feel like you have to obey your husband. You wouldn't like, I don't know sneak a plan b you wouldn't like not have sex with like you wouldn't start to track your like like you really like want to keep having baby after baby but it i had like this grim horrible realization where i was like oh but people are nice like that's maybe that's the only time that people are nice to them oh uh, when you are pregnant or you have a very new baby oh uh, wow holy so shit. right your kids get older people no one's nice to you anymore and pro- that's probably very likely in the communities that you're speaking of yeah. that like if your only value is to serve as mm-hmm. a as a wife and as a mother mm-hmm. you know it's like the less service you do quote unquote mm-hmm. the less valuable you are yeah so, holy moly right wow. i had that realization i was like Ooh. oh i'm so bummed because and because I, I had the realization because my husband's very nice to me all the time mm. and he's great and we work really hard to be an equal partnership but i did have a moment it was like i it literally was like oh i have to like go get my own water <laughs> like i gotta get up the baby no one's serving there's like no serving reason. me hand and foot anymore. <laughs> he yeah. literally hand yeah. and foot. yeah <laughs> good for you and I was I like oh, oh I, get I don't want to have 10 kids about it but like I get it yeah <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to have 10 kids about it I love that that's, <laughs> but like that's a meme that's a meme. yeah okay. yeah I'm not gonna mm-hmm. yeah yeah wow but yeah I mean that's the other thing too that I will say about some of those communities where it's like assumed that you will bear as many children mm-hmm. as you can yeah, I will quiverful quiverful because children are the arrows in your quiver so you have to have a full quiver in the fight against not what against christian not christianness which i know oh secular against the secular evils quiverful that secular army wow Mm. well you know and it's in many many communities you know Mm. what i mean but what i will say about that is like some of the pros of some of these communities is that they truly do have like the a lot of the times the women are like fully like raising their children as a village mm-hmm. and yeah. that and like with each other and helping each other out because they're all mm-hmm. each other has mm-hmm. and I will say that like that is a part of like that's an assumption that I think is made with motherhood and so many mothers we'll never have that they will never i mean like you know you think about like even you know it's not only cities it's like in the burbs whenever i go to the burbs i'm like it's so isolating here yeah like you are so isolated like you're in your big house on the cul-de-sac and there's no one around like there's no one to fucking help you you know like and if if your partner isn't like 
chipping in and and being an equal when my when my daughter was a month old they started doing um uh, work on our building out on our terrace and there were fumes oh. and sound that weren't safe for a newborn so we had to leave so we went to our friend's house upstate and it was in this like kind of remote rural area yeah there just was like nobody and I kept I was like googling and I was like oh I I, I was, and then it hit me. I was driving one day, and I was like, "The church. This is how they get you. This, like, this is how it happens. This yeah, is how like- they get the dirty Jew from New York to go." Because I was like, "I want to fucking talk to somebody." <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's like, you know, in the and I'm sure like the cities can be isolating as well. But it's like, I could, if I were a mother, like I could go downstairs right now, and there's a playground across the street, and yeah. there's probably like four moms at least yeah. with their kids, you know, and like I could at least attempt to make some kind of like community out of that and not be alone. Whereas yeah. there are also, places yeah. where, where that's, that is how that kind of happens mm-hmm. is it's like, yeah. Oh, you want community? Well then you need yeah. to join this place or else need, you ain't, you have yeah. no one. Or it's a, you either need to join a church or get into a multi-level marketing scheme. Like you got to do something. <laughs> or sell leggings. Yeah, or sell leggings. It's Jesus like, or leggings, honey. Mm-hmm. Pick one. Yeah. yeah. Are you a woman? Those are the two genders. Those are is yeah. Jesus or leggings. Babies or Amway. <laughs> yeah. Babies or Amway. <laughs> uh, oh, man. So that is so funny. Yeah. No, I mean, I have a, like, I, I was nervous because I don't know a lot of people in my particular neighborhood. I'm in Harlem. Most of my friends are in Brooklyn. I was nervous and I was like, I don't know any moms. I joined a couple Facebook groups and now I have like a great group of moms. Awesome. And it's great. Um, I also joined Moms of the Upper East Side, which is not where I live, but I'm close enough that I thought they might let me in and they did. And it's been, I can't tell if it's a good idea. Like I joined to like vicarious. I was like, I want to see all the posts. I want to see at least all the nightmare. Yeah. yeah. But sometimes I, I see the posts and they are a nightmare. And I'm like, I don't know if this is good for my mental Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm so mad. <laughs> like, I know. Because it's just like, um, my nanny fell, my night nurse fell asleep. Should I fire her? And I'm like, oh my God, she is like, oh, a human being. like, so you have a night nurse. <laughs> also, you have a night nurse. This is, I'm learning so much. I didn't know that night know. nurses were a thing. Night nurses are a thing. And then, then there's nannies, which I did know. Um, and but then there's like yeah au pairs which are a separate thing and it's like my au pair and my nanny are fighting what do I do and I'm like oh god I don't know (laughs) up the Xanax I don't give some to me I don't know I don't know wow that's interesting wow so for the folks listening we forgot to press record on On the the second half on the second half of our lovely interview with Sarah oh. Hartshorn. So we uh, will have to rebook her. And this will be a fun bonus episode of how Rachel and I are on the struggle bus. <laughs> Who's driving? <laughs> Let me tell you. Nobody's driving. It's off the You cliff. know, yeah, the struggle bus is, um, she is just off to the races. I tell wow. you what. What a day. Wow. What a day. What a day. What was your day like? 
I mean, I found out I booked a, another television yes. show. So that was awesome. That's very exciting. Um, And then I did like four radio call-ins. And oh, wow. I had a voiceover recording session. Busy. And then this. So yeah. one wonderful day. But yeah. it's, it's not a surprise that like, you know, we lost like a, a slight piston on the firing of the brain. Yeah, you know, and that it mm. happens, you know. I, I to knew- fire our assistant. <laughs> Our non-existent assistant. If any of our listeners would like to be our assistants, um, please uh, DM us on the Instagrams. Intern. Um, Anybody want to be an intern? Anyone want to be an intern? Because we really need help. Yeah, no, today was one of those days that was like so tightly scheduled that like there was no room for anything to go wrong. There was no room for that. Mm. And of course, when there's no room for that, that's when things go wrong. I had a very intense therapy session. It was one of those ones where like you leave and you're like, well, it's it's just the beginning. You know what I mean? Like it's just like the tip of the iceberg, you know, when you just like cry the entire session. Wow. And you're like, oh, well, time to go, you know? Um, yeah, I could tell the second you came on the Zoom, your energy was very like, I'm spent. Oh, I am. Here we go. Yeah, I have been through it. When you when you realize that you had maybe a hope or an expectation for something, and then when you finally realize that will never happen, when you have to like say goodbye to something, mm. that it's like a death of something where you're like, oh, I didn't realize that I like held that. I didn't realize that I held that expectation. And, and, you know, to not be like so fucking vague, I started group therapy with my mom and I realized that, you know, and she initiated it because she wants a better relationship with me. Um, come to find out she doesn't remember like the last 25 years, <laughs> like she has either black like blacked out from alcoholism or has uh disassociated to a level that she actually has no memory of like anything and I always thought you know my mom got sober two years ago and I'm so proud of her and I always thought that sobriety would bring clarity that it would maybe bring I guess I don't know how it works I thought that I thought that she would remember and she doesn't remember. Well, maybe if she did EMDR, she would, but yeah, maybe not. Maybe I don't don't think through traditional talk therapy. No, Yeah. no. And, um, you know, to come to that realization that like, I'm never going to get that validation. I'm never going to get how did, cause how do you get, a real apology and a real amends from someone that literally can't remember what happened. It's like, I I told my therapist, and this is a very extreme comparison, but it's like, it's like a serial killer with amnesia. They've been fucking killing people for 25 years, but then they got in an accident and have amnesia. And now they don't remember that they were a serial killer. So like how, can that person have remorse? How can they, you know, mm. own own it in a meaningful way to the victims? So I, mean, I think, yeah. I think she can take responsibility for the impact. Um, 
you may think she doesn't feel it as deeply because she didn't remember it. Mm-hmm. I mean, and she didn't. She didn't take that opportunity to do so, you know, of like, I don't remember it. And I'm sorry that that happened. And I'm sorry for the way that it affected you. That didn't happen. So it's sort of like, I'm like, that's all well and great that like you want to do therapy, but like the nothing will come of this for me without that acknowledgement, without like some kind of real amends. Like it just, nothing will change. Like I had, I felt like I had made peace to a degree with like what our relationship is and what it's become. Like, you know, I don't call my mom when I like need someone. I don't like call her when I'm in a really bad place. Like I don't feel safe sharing those things with her it's not safe like emotionally you know so like we don't have that kind of relationship it's interesting that we briefly talked to Sarah about like being a mom and like having someone who's like ready to be a mom and like so many women of that generation like truly were not ready and did not know that they were not ready and hadn't like dealt with their own trauma and just passed it on to their children just projected it or tried to like work it out on thought that motherhood would solve it would solve their so I mean you know and of course like I'm already dealing with grief you know my sister passing away this last month and um this was kind of a double whammy yeah do you think it's something that she can get to or are you just kind of like I need to be at peace with this well we have an appointment tomorrow (laughs) She wanted, she was, what was so interesting is that at the end of the session, she was like, well, I would like to process this and I would like to do it again. And I would like it to be a regular thing. So like, you know, like I've sort of told you before, like I feel her, her desire to be close with me is so palpable. Like I feel her longing. There's like this very sad longing energy that I feel when I'm around her when I speak to her like she wants so badly to connect with me and there's just so much in the way of that um can you you know like outright ask for what you need or is it more like you're just kind of yeah and I and I did in the session you know of like there is so much that has happened over those 25 years and we we never talk about it. We don't talk about it. And it's the elephant in the room. It's the wedge between us, you know, like, and that is, those are the conversations that I'm interested in having and like making peace around. Um, and that was literally met with, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so... To all our listeners that have maybe endured an alcoholic parent or, uh, you know, an addict parent, um, you know, I always, I thought when I was, you know, I loved Al-Anon. I got a lot out of Al-Anon. I still, you know, would go. I haven't been going. Um, But for many years in Al-Anon, I thought that my mom getting sober and getting her amends would be the thing 
not the solution, but would be the thing that would be the beginning of saving our relationship. And, you know, she's technically made amends her way. She sent me a, a Thanksgiving card with a turkey on it that said, I'm sorry for anything that happened, although I don't remember it. Um, yeah, yeah. And so and then she said in the session, but I sent you a card and I made amends. I thought I thought we were thought we were done. And so anyways, I always thought that that would be the thing that would kind of save us. And turns out it's not. Turns out it's not. I guess it was just like a very sad realization of like, I was kind of hold. I didn't know I was like holding out hope for that. I was holding out hope that like, she would finally say like, oh, you know, I remember everything and I'm so sorry. And that's not, that's not going to happen. You know, I mean, it makes me, it makes me think about like victims of abuse of like various kinds where you just never get, especially when like it's brought into like legal terms. Like they always ask like, oh, why don't rape victims come forward? You know, and it's because a lot of the time they never get that validation. Most of the time. Yeah. Like the statistic is like 95% of rapes are like never prosecuted. So like most of the time, it would be more detrimental to the victim to go through that process and have it be legally said to you, nothing bad, nothing punishable happened, Mm. you know? And like, I'm not looking to like punish anybody. I'm just looking for validation. So that was like um, a straight cis white male comic at a show the other night. Who had a pretty good set, pretty, pretty, seemed pretty aware. Um, Where'd he go awry? <laughs> we were having a little conversation after my set and his set, and I was introducing myself, and because I, I knew his girlfriend, and, you know, he was from another state, and he moved here. Anyway, whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Somehow we get into the conversation of Louis C.K. Oh, fuck. And he goes, well, you know, at least he didn't like actually like, you know, it wasn't that bad what he did. Yeah. You know, at least he didn't actually stick his dick in somebody. Wow. And I'm like, wow, your um, your white male privilege is talking real hard right now. Um, yeah. Uh, you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, and even though there was not penetrative sex, clearly he abused his power and did something where someone felt trapped and violated and Mm -hmm. that is assault and demoralized and humiliated to the point where they would quit their career so we'll never see what that woman could have done we'll never get to see the art that they could have created because they fucking quit like that is a loss for everybody you know that's really unfortunate Oh, God, I I actually, <laughs> you know, me and my like my psychology Instagram that I like, <laughs> it was it was one like it was a meme of like the worst ways to respond to someone's like trauma. And like one of them was could have been worse. Like no one wants to hear that. Nobody. Mm. FYI to everyone listening, like if anyone opens up to you about something horrible that happened to them never respond well could have been worse it at least it wasn't blank no 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 like (laughs) that is not like sure a lot of things could have been worse you know but that's not that just um dismisses 
that person's experience completely you know yeah that's really unfortunate oh man yeah you know when i think about something like louis ck listen i i used to love his comedy but like the person the people who lost in that situation were his victims yeah they lost and he gets to do fucking shows at msg or wherever he gets to do that he gets he has the privilege of that of doing that and they're their fucking careers are over because they're too traumatized. Yeah. I mean, I um I would just like to remind everyone that th- this is a comedy podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was um, thinking to myself, I was like, mm, how much of this conversation should we post? Um, I mean, I'll leave that up to you, editor. I mean, some <laughs> this shit gets real. You no, know, it, does. it, it does. gets real. And I think that's like when you go to a comedy show, like there are human beings up there making you laugh. And like, this is all the shit that we somehow, some way polish into a joke. Somehow yep. we do it. Somehow. Take that, take that doo-doo and make it a flower. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You literally take the grain of sand and make it into a pearl. And it's yeah. healing in a lot of ways. And then sometimes you just got to let the thing be sad. For sure. Uh, and, and that's definitely part of the process, no matter what, you know, I mean, I, I'm very happy that I was able to take the ridiculous things that my mother says and does and make it into a joke about choking. Um, that felt good. <laughs> about a woman getting choked. Um, yeah, that felt very good. Yeah. Um, but I was actually, uh, there's this guy, Daniel Mate, um, that I know from when I did Landmark. And um, I've been following his social media. Apparently his dad is like a really, really famous um, psychologist. And I just never knew this oh. in the time that we interacted. Is his dad Gabor Mate? Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, yeah. so Gabor Mate, just FYI for everyone, did so much work around how how trauma is, re- childhood trauma is associated with all disease. Okay. Mental, <laughs> physical, like- Wow. Okay. So go on. So I, you know, so it's interesting because Daniel has been sharing both on his own and other people's podcasts, what it was like to be his son and the trauma that he went through as his son. And, um, it's so fascinating. And, uh, I, I was messaging him today on Instagram and I was like, dude, loving your content. He's still loving yours too. You know, and I haven't talked to him. We should have him on. We should. Should absolutely have him on. Uh, haven't talked to him in like 10 years. And I was like, uh, so once you, cause you know, landmark is a lot about removing the stories, right? Like yes. looking at the trauma and looking at the stories we created around it yeah. and where, where we can be responsible for the it limiting sort of, beliefs. Yeah. yeah. And take out some of the charge of it. Right. And so, but then when you do therapy after the fact, right, then you're like, Oh, well, but what about this and this and oh, wow. Oh, oh, ee, ah, ooh, yeah. And so I was like, how did you get back to like liking your dad? Or did you ever have a moment of like not liking your dad? Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, no, you know, he, yes, he has idiosyncrasies and and, and imperfections, but I've really uh, reached a place of compassion. Mm. And I said, yeah, I could get that because I think with my mom at the end of the day, you know, and not to excuse her behavior, but it's like she was just doing what she knew, you know, mm. and yeah. she was just doing what she could. And when yeah. she had her own 
stack of limiting beliefs, many of which she's still held on to, even though she's done the work. She's had it. She's been on the planet 32 years longer than me. So it's Mm. like, you know, yeah. And I do the work continuously. She kind of stopped, you know? Right. Yeah. That was the other thing that I said to, uh, to my therapist today. I was like, it's probably a big chunk of it. Like my mom's dad was an alcoholic and that was ultimately what killed him. You know, so she grew up like in an alcoholic home. And I was like, so a normal childhood was never modeled to her. So like that was her normal. That was her baseline. And like, if you were to ask my mom, she would tell you that she had like a beautiful, like wonderful childhood. And like, I'm like, well, (laughs) same. Yeah. And it's so interesting. Like, it's like, it's just this like head in the sand um, phenomenon with the boomers of like, they just don't even acknowledge their own trauma. And like, I've heard it from a third person, like hearing what it was like. And I'm like, oh my God, you know? You know what it's like? It's like in those old movies when they have the flashback and it's really fuzzy Mm. And kind of like a different tone. It's kind of like that because, you know, my experience of my grandparents, they, they didn't really yell much around me, but I was the cute little grandchild that, you know, you kind of just did fun things with, but you know, I remember my grandfather, uh, my grandparents babysitting me and I turned on MTV. Right. And they were very conservative. Right. And Jody Watley was on and she was gyrating and she was half naked. And he was like, what the hell is that? And I had never seen, and he freaked out and was like, shut that shit, you know, shut that nonsense. And I was like, Ooh, you know, then my mom would share how like, well, you know, if we didn't behave, you know, dad whipped out the belt and I'm like, that's corporal punishment. Mom. Yeah. Like, that's, that's... yeah. There was just a big study <sighs> that came out about corporal punishment and how, um, a massive percentage of any children that experienced corporal punishment have depression, anxiety, like heightened nervous systems, like just like such an array of issues that like that are so counterintuitive to getting good behavior out of a child. Well, well, there we are, folks. Um, <laughs> Com- compassion, um, forgiveness and um Yeah. Be ready to be a mom if that's what you're going to (laughs) do. With a side of self-care and masturbation. Yes. Uh, Word. Wow. Well, 